This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Thank you for joining us today as we explore contemporary issues around land and infrastructure in informal settlements in Kenya and South Africa with Jethrin Ayumba Akala and Marie Hurtzemeyer. This first part provides the context for the second episode, which focuses on the situation in these settlements in the context of the unfolding coronavirus pandemic. My name is Markus Kipp, and together with my colleague Ross Beveridge, we moderate this conversation with our two guests, who will introduce themselves to you now. So, my name is uh, Dr. Jethron Ayumba Akala. I'm based at Maseno University, which is in the Western Belt of Kenya. And uh, I teach history in, um, in the Department of History and Archaeology at Maseno. My training is basically in urban history. I did my master's in uh, urban history, focusing on urban governance, marginalization in informal settlements. And then I proceeded for my PhD in Darmstadt, Germany, I think where I met my uh, Marcos. And I did a PhD in history of technology focusing on infrastructure development and specifically water and sanitation supply in the city per se, but looking at uh, what I would call the bottom-up approaches, the fragmented aspect of the city where there are those who are surviving off the grid. How do they procure water? And what creativity do they bring in as people in informal areas that are deprived and who must survive? How do they reproduce themselves? How do they reproduce the city? And generally, that is my key focus, but mostly based on historical perspectives that incorporate uh, social elements of the city and also the political economy of our urban areas, specifically in Africa. That's, that's fascinating, Jethro. So interesting hearing about that work. Um, I'm based at Fitz University in Johannesburg in yeah. the School of Architecture and Planning. Um, I've been there, this is, believe it or not, my 20th year there. Um, my own um, PhD way back was comparing Brazil and South Africa on, on the production of informal settlements and the, um, and the policies that were emerging during democratization in the two countries. Um, and uh, Things have moved on a lot since then. Um, I still try and keep in touch with what's going on in Brazil, but my comparative research has has since been um, actually with Kenya in part, um, but with 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 Germany as well. I was looking at tenements, um, rental, private rental housing, and high densities in 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 Kenya, multi-story, and going back into the history of of, of Berlin, which was once the biggest tenement city. Um, I've continued my work um, on, on informal settlements. I'm also trying to understand the different um, movements and also the global movement, Slum Dwellers International, or, or not movement, organization. It's an, an international NGO. Try to understand how they represent um, informal settlements uh, at a global level. They've, they're once again quite prominent in the debate on COVID-19, so I think they'll come back into the conversation again. Um, but yes, that's my research. I, I supervise, I teach in this field, really. Um, would love to spend far more, far more time um, engaging with, with historical um, learning um, 
and and um, so so I look forward to this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, moving on to thinking about uh, the informal settlements. Uh, before we talk about um, how COVID nineteen is 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 uh, changing things, how it's affecting things um, at the moment, could you both give us a sense of? A general sense of uh, uh, the context of informal settlements, um, thinking in terms of how many people are living there, the percentage of the population, uh, the main kind of politics around it, state policies, governance, that kind of thing. I think uh, Nairobi has a long history of informal settlements, and it's where most of the, the, the population in Kenya is, the urban population in Kenya is, is based. And uh, in Kenya, I think the most uh, the famous uh, informal settlement is Kibera informal settlement and Matare. These are the two largest uh, and oldest informal settlements in Kenya. Of course, there are other smaller uh, uh, slums in terms of size, but facing the same same challenges like Korogocho, Kurukaya, Farm Kurukwanjenga that develop. Uh, just like we know, most of the informal areas develop adjacent to to the high-end settlement areas of the city or closer to the CBD or closer to industrial areas. So that is the, the general distribution of informal settlements in, in, in Nairobi, either closer to the upmarket residences where the urban poor who live in the informal areas have to thrive on the labor they offer in these high-end residential areas or near the industrial areas, I'm talking of maybe slums like Mkuru Kwanjenga, Mkuru Kwayafa, that are just on the proximity of the industrial areas. And I say this because of the, compartment, the compartmentalized nature of most of the colonial cities in Africa that were planned in a compartmentalized mode where there were certain areas for industries, the central business district, the high the residential areas, the highland areas for the rich and the upper class in the city. And then the poor always find themselves in the fringes of the city. So this compartmentalization of the city also determines the distribution of the informal areas across world. But those two, Matare and Kibera, remain the largest. For a very long time, the population of Kibera has been contested. There are reports that have placed it at close to 1 million people. There are the census, the latest government censuses, places it at between 260 and perhaps maybe 400,000 uh, people. But as we all know, people distrust statistics, especially when those statistics are, uh, are originating from, from the government. So the, the NGOs and maybe international bodies like uh, UN Habitat and others have different figures for populations in most of the slums in Nairobi, but that is neither here nor there. But generally that is the situation. The politics of the informal areas in Kenya are the same as to any country I would imagine, especially the former colonies or generally the global south. Land is always the issue. The, 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 the land tenure system, that those who occupy informal areas are seen as squatters, they are seen as illegal settlers. And the 
city authorities and the government have always approached these informal areas as blind spots or black spots, meaning that they don't they know Kibera exists on the map because they know people people inhabit these areas. But in city planning, in official planning of the city, the city authorities, both the local government, the, 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 the city government, what we used to call the municipal uh, governance and, and, and the city government, which is currently the county because of the model of the model model of governance in Kenya changed, where we have the national governance and the regional government. So these slums, especially or the informal settlements, especially those ones in Nairobi, they fall under the jurisdiction of the county government of Nairobi. And as such, the general approach to informal areas has been that this the the the, the, the occupancy itself is illegal. That the people who inhabit informal areas are squatters, and any form of planning for them in terms of providing infrastructure, in terms of uh, incorporating them into the national planning strategies will itself entail legalizing an illegality. So the ambivalence nature in terms of the approach to informal areas that are clearly in existence, but governments and authorities have continued to live in denial of the presence of these informal uh, uh, settlements makes it very, very complicated in terms of governance. But I've always argued, and this is what I handled when I did my master's research, that the people in informal areas only become important when they are being used for political ends. That during national censuses, we take the census of people in informal areas and we document them as citizens. During uh, political campaigns, politicians troop into the informal areas because they want the votes. But once, after elections, after these censuses, the government takes a backseat. The official, the, offic the, 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 the official state apparatus treat them with suspicion and so on. And that's where the challenge, the, the, the challenge comes in. And Kenya is not different. Kenya is not different. And informal areas like Kibera are also even more complicated because Kibera is inhabited by Nubians who are originally uh, Sudanese. They moved into Kenya and settled into Kibera together with the colonial expedition. They were used as porters and military servicemen in the British, uh, the King's African Rifles, which was the military regiment that was in charge of the pacification exercise in colonial occupation. And then they were settled into Kibera, which was originally a military base. And for a very long time, they have been pushing to be given titles to the ownership of land. And to them, Kibera is their village, is their home. So there is all a complex affair and a complex issue that sometimes makes governance a problem. But maybe to just refocus our discussion on the population, these are informal areas that are restricted in size but handling basically 60% of the urban population. That cities like Nairobi have their dwellers, uh, that the 60% of the dwellers living in informal areas as compared to the upper middle class and the upper class that is in the city. So basically the population of Nairobi, which is approximately almost 4 million, you take up an approximate of 60%, then figures are clear on who is in informal areas and who is in what I would call planned areas. Marie, uh, would you like to come in and uh, provide some context 
on South Africa? So there are many parallels, um, again, with South Africa. Um, the figures we are given is that there are 3,200 informal settlements or more in the country. Um, it's very hard to keep a figure on, on, on the population. The estimates um, go into um, 6 million. We, 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 we kind of cautious of the, um, of the sort of data, um, the, the, the fetish with, with, with numbers because they, they change quickly. Um, and there is a tendency to, to exaggerate numbers. I think that's also what, what Jethro was, um, implying with, with the <laughs> quite substantial different numbers for Kibera, for instance. Um, if Johannesburg, we think, has probably in the in the region of 150 informal settlements. Um, it's Govan likes to say it's 180, but some of them are not um, technically informal settlements. Um, Durban apparently has 500 informal settlements. So these these numbers are huge. They are challenging. It does mean that the state is not very present in the informal settlements. Um, a lot of them are left to their own devices. Um, since since 2009, um, with with a, a constitutional court case, there's been a kind of a drive. Not a, not that it was um, um, an order coming out of the court, but it was a response by the government to the the whole case. Um, there has been a drive to provide temporary um, sanitation to informal settlements. We've seen this enormous rollout of chemical toilets. Which are incredibly expensive. Um, they are rented from private companies. They are um, um, on contracts for regular desludging and or emptying, essentially a bucket system um, and cleaning. Um, uh, they, that 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 money could have been spent on on permanent services um, for these settlements. These are the kind of controversies that are also in the media. Um, around the, the enormous wastage of money on temporary um, services to informal settlements and not um, and not not making a full commitment to moving these settlements into permanent um, um, situations where people have the certainty of of being able to plan their future and to have permanent services and so on. So so this temporariness of informal settlements in South Africa is a big issue. Um, and and if we're talking about the political controversies, a lot of it has to do with government. Government, despite a policy since 2004 that says informal settlements must be upgraded in situ, um, relocations are only permitted if, um, as a last resort, once um, all possibilities for in situ upgrading have been exhausted. Um, and 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 it also court judgments um, making it very clear that this is the policy that, that applies to all informal settlements. It's taken very very long for this message to sink through, um, to sink through um, to local um, government level. Um, and there's a there's a national upgrading support program at national level that is pushing. Um, for an attitudinal change, um, and that is doing training and so on around these things. But um, the attitude towards informal settlements still very much is that they are temporary, that they are not legitimate, 
that it's people jumping the queue because there is a housing delivery program that gives housing for free to qualifying households. Um, the numbers um, of delivery have petered down. Um, it is a it's it's recognized as a problematic program within government, but it's very difficult for government to to end a policy like that. Um, politically, it's 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 not able to do that. But um, upgrading of informal settlements is getting more and more um, support at national level. Um, but at the same time, um, the implementation is is not pulling through at the pace that's needed. And instead, the, the solutions remain temporary. And among those temporary solutions is also the setting up of temporary relocation areas. Um, and we have many of these um, dotting dotted around the landscape, um, the urban landscape. We've got PRAs that date back from 2000, 2001, 2006, and so on that have become permanent settlements. And, um, and, and the plan again and again is to move people out of there into new TRAs. Um, and these temporary relocation areas have different iterations. In some cases, check a little, a little tin shacks are provided by the state. In other cases, people are expected to build their own structures. Um, some are more controlled, some are less controlled. But for all of them, the services, again, are communal. It's chemical toilets um, being shared or, at best, uh, sealed pit latrines that also have to be sludged, that are also shared. Um, communal taps that are shared. And, and so we've seen very, very few informal settlements moving to a situation of full upgrading where, where people have individual services. Um, and, and that relates back to the challenge we, we're facing now with, with COVID-19. Um, so political controversies are very much around um, the demand for land, people in many cases saying, you know, we we won't ever get that house that's been promised to us. Just give us a piece of land or allow us on the land that we're already occupying, allow us to, to build perm and permanent structures. Um, we've seen one informal settlement, Twetla, where um, once the area was given temporary electricity provision um, and 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 reblocked into in a in a temporary way into very small plots. Um, people were given little tin structures, what they and, and they were told this is temporary. They still share toilets and they still have communal water. What they've done is they've built a brick around these structures, two stories. And so we're seeing almost a favelization. If if we take the image of a Brazilian favela being built in brick, and um, that is a phenomenon that's emerging here. Um somehow um the government doesn't like that at all is calling it illegal and we're trying to sensitize them to the fact that this is really the future of informal settlements. People are able to consolidate and build themselves, don't stop them and so on. So these are these are the kind of um, controversies. I think temporariness is, is a huge issue with informal settlements. Um, informal settlements are organized um, and often organized in, in a way that is trying to, to be party apolitical. Um, and and so civic organizations, either independently or in bigger networks, um, community community forums and so on, um, in some cases organized across settlements. There's a movement, Abashlali Basundondolo, which originates in Durban, but has really now moved through several provinces and has, has communities linked up 
through a very particular political approach. Um, and and that is that is that is apolitical in terms of party politician political, um, but it is highly political because um, of its statement of not agreeing to party politics dominating um, informal settlement um, decision making and development. And so they are highly disliked by by political parties um, and by factions and political parties that try to use informal settlement residents um, to their own ends, um, to their own political ends. So, so informal settlements are highly um, politicized spaces. And for, we are also seeing quite a lot of evictions happening right now, um, which from a sort of a political analysis point of view, seem to be targeting these movements in particular. The other movement that has been organizing informal settlements or organizing in informal settlements is, is um, the, the Federation of the Urban Poor, which is an affiliate of Slum Dwellers International. They, they, they kind of take a more pragmatic approach and try to work quite closely with government. But right now they, they bundled into the same space as Abashlali. They have to fight the same battles. And it's very interesting to see a sort of a, a level of, of, of respect between these two movements having emerged recently or, or, or become more, more evident recently. Um, yes, I think I think that's the, we we from here we can probably move into a discussion more on on how this is now playing out um, in this COVID nineteen context. Yeah, maybe just to add something literal to build up the, the context of uh, informal areas, especially in Nairobi, which directly, of course, we relate on our discussion on COVID. I would agree that uh, the the situation is not different. What is happening in South Africa? They they attempt to do the slum upgrading is also happening because many a times these are global, uh, these are agendas that are pushed by uh, global institutions, UN Habitat and, and, and uh, the rest. And Nairobi has witnessed the same. But the problem with the slum upgrading program is also, I see it as a, as a, as a program that is organized and run from the top, and therefore it is bound to fail. I will take an example of Kibera. And there was, uh, from 2002 to as 2005, there was the Kenya Slum Upgrading Program, KENSAP, which aimed at uh, upgrading slums in Nairobi, starting with Kibera. And as a contested space, there was a lot of politics, but the government went ahead and did a number of houses which were expected to be occupied by the residents of Kibera. But what the government forgets, or the, uh, the planners forget, is the need to involve the people are not just to involve the people to rubber stamp these decisions, but to see them as assets in the planning process. For example, uh, there is the informal economy that most of the cities in Africa thrive on, where it is not the formal economy that drives most of our urban areas. It is that informal economy. And there is a woman in Kibera who thrives on selling vegetables, and she is strategically located on the main, main entry points into into the slum. That is where she is able to earn a livelihood. So she is not just in this settlement, as it, the settlement does not just provide a home for the person, but it provides us a livelihood. And when you are, when you approach this person and take take the person to an apartment on the third floor, it becomes impossible for this person to sell the vegetables. I would say maybe on the corridor of that uh, of that apartment on that third floor. 
So they will come back to the informal areas. And that is the biggest challenge that we are witnessing, that despite all these programs to, 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 to meet the standards, what are called the urban housing standards, maybe a two-bedroom house away from the, 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 the small, less than six square feet room that most uh, people live in, as we attempt to provide better sanitary by providing uh, an in-house uh, uh, flush toilet or bathroom or a kitchen or a cooking areas that is separate from uh, the, the, the sleeping area or where the children sleep and so on. As we attempt to this, there is a need to involve the people because failure to involve the people does not deal with the temporality of the slums to offer a standardized form of living going by the international standards per se. And access to services is through this communal, uh, the, the, the communal approaches that Marie has already uh, stated clearly. Kibera still thrives on a communal water supply system where individuals run away with those pipes, the spaghetti pipes, and then they put up a stand pipe and then they sell water. Sometimes supplying that water at a very higher rate than even the formal system of the planned areas where people access water on regularized rates as provided by the Nairobi uh, municipal, the Nairobi water and sun, water and sewerage uh, company. So with these communal facilities, and I'm talking of key infrastructures, water being central to any form of human life, accessed through a communal system, to improve sanitation, provision of communal bathrooms and communal toilets, pay toilets that are run by NGOs, but that are run by community-based organizations, that are run by area boys, and also cartels that have taken advantage and are using the deprivation in the informal areas to, 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 to cash on and make a living for themselves. Electricity, illegal electricity supply, stolen water, stolen electricity, stolen in quotes, if we go by that. But these informal modes of supply that are communal in the, in, in the nature of their provision and how they are organized is the reality across all informal areas. Thank you. Thank you for those really rich accounts of the, uh, um, uh, the, the general context. The conversation focusing on the COVID-19 situation will be continued in part two. Thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit our website urbanpolitical.podigy.io Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.